Well, good morning. We want to welcome each and every one of you this morning to Paradise Valley Christian Church. How exciting it is to come together as family. Welcome you, those online. I think there's like 39 people checked in online so far. Uh, and just uh, what a joy it is to come into the, the house of the Lord, to worship Him, to praise Him. And again, what a, this past weekend had some fun times as the body. Uh, for those who were able to be at the game night on Friday night, that was a lot of fun. Uh, some came to men's prayer breakfast on Saturday morning. We had like 23 uh, guys uh, and a little baby girl that was up early Saturday morning that I had to bring with me and so I didn't put a bow on her though so that way nobody at the men's prayer breakfast knew that it was a girl but uh, we did have a girl at the prayer breakfast uh, men's prayer breakfast on Saturday and uh, she did great but uh, then we also had our situational awareness class that took place uh, on uh, Saturday morning and afternoon and just a, a lot of good things going on here at the church in fact if you were to go downstairs right now I think there's like 40 some or so kids down there in our children's ministry on a Sunday morning uh, not between both services and uh, there's some really neat things coming up for our our young ones we're going to have a, an Easter event that's going to take place the Saturday before Easter morning we're also going to be giving you opportunity to take some invites with you uh, for uh Again, just the, the opportunity around Easter to invite someone, to use those as conversation starters, those type of things. And so we'd love for you to kind of be aware that uh, April, the first Sunday in April will be uh, Easter Sunday. And so that's going to be coming up on us real quickly uh, I do want to say a big thank you to those who helped well, with snow removal. I was joking with Nathan Liss. He was here first service, uh, him and his wife Joy. And I said, I don't know if God's playing a cruel joke on you or what, but about every Wednesday and every Sunday morning we have new snow, which is awesome. Uh, but uh, it definitely is a lot of work putting in uh, when it comes to removing the snow off the parking lot, sidewalks, not only here at the church building, but over at the Christian school. And so appreciate all those who make efforts when it comes to snow removals. If you're here this morning and uh, you would prefer to wear a mask, please know that you can do that. Uh, we'd love for as many people to be here as possible, and however you feel most comfortable being here, we're not requiring that, but we do have masks out in the foyer. If you want to grab one of those, you're more than welcome to, to take one and use one, and uh, we would just, again, want you to be as comfortable as possible this morning. And uh, the last thing I want to mention, to just kind of tie in with what Gary was saying is, man, you guys are, are a generous congregation. I've seen uh, some awesome things happening uh, when it comes to your generosity and your giving, and I just want to let you know and just say thank you and encourage you and to say, uh, again, let you know that uh, the finance team met on Wednesday, and uh, it's awesome to see how God is utilizing you, and so we're looking at other ways where we can have it, make a difference in uh, the lives of people outside of our congregation as well as people within our congregation and it's all because of you and how you're allowing God to use you when it comes to your generosity so thank you so much uh, for being a part of that uh, and all the different things that we want to see God use us when it comes to a congregation and the body of Christ not only here in the building but each and every day of the week as we have an impact in the world around us uh, this past week, um, a week ago, Summit Christian College, uh, we, we took up an offering for them. It was love month for them. Aaron Prose wasn't able to make it. Uh, I shared a message that it's interesting. Some messages lend 
towards me running across the stage like this, okay? And then there's other messages that don't really lend to that sort of thing. And so if you missed last Sunday's message, uh, I was wearing a warm-up suit. It was a warm-up suit, okay? It wasn't pajamas. But if you miss that, uh, you're more than welcome to go back uh, on YouTube. We have a YouTube uh, channel. You can check that out. You can check out audio messages on our website, some of those type of things. But it's those are the messages that lend to, you know, passages of Scripture that lend to those kind of messages. And today... Uh, um, you know, last week's talked about this idea of running the race to win the prize. And, and the, the awesome part about being in Christ is that we look forward to that prize, that eternity with God, that, that hope that we have. But then the, on the flip side of the coin is that if you are outside of Christ, if you do not have a relationship with him, if you are rejecting God in your daily life and you're living for self, then there's consequences, and those are the kind of passages that are a little bit harder to, to get really excited about. But the truth is, is that there's victories and, and then there's defeats. And so we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 9 this morning. And the title of the message is, No Rest for the Wicked. No Rest for the Wicked, 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 4 through 9. If you have your paper Bibles in front of you, awesome. If you have your digital devices, that's great as well. And if you want to read off the screen, you can do that. But will you stand with me if you are able this morning to stand and to read God's word together as we hear from him, knowing that these are God's words being spoken to us today. May we hear him in reverence to him as we read together. Verse 4 of chapter 2 of 2 Peter says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. Will you pray with me this morning? God, we desire to hear a word from you. God, may you speak into our hearts and into our minds. May we be listening. May we be hearing. May we be applying in order that your word would have an impact, that it would have uh, the opportunity to change us, to mold us, and to transform us. Father, I pray that it's not something that we're just doing on a Sunday morning, but that each and every day we allow your word to shape us into who you desire us to be. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Again, the title of the message this morning is No Rest for the Wicked. And I don't know if you've ever used that phrase or heard that phrase, but a lot of times it's, you know, you work all morning long and then you break for lunch and you're sitting around and you're getting ready to go back to work and, and you say, you know, I better get back to work. No rest for the wicked. 
And it's kind of the, the jokingly, you know, idea that you know, we have so much work to do that, that there's got to be something wrong with my life or something because, uh, you know, the, I got to continually work. There, I gotta, there must be something going on in my life. And, and yet this, this phrase is actually a biblical phrase, and it comes from Isaiah chapter 57, starting in verse 20 and 21, where it says, But the wicked are like the tossing of are like, excuse me, but the wicked are like the tossing sea, which cannot rest, whose waves cast up mire and mud. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. And if you're to look at this passage from Isaiah, it's this idea that the wicked, have, they have this idea that it's all about them. That they don't want anything to do with God, so they reject what God wants for their lives. And the reality of the end result of their life is that they will end up in hell, where there will be no peace. There will be no rest. There, there's no rest for the wicked. And, and we don't know, as we look into this passage here in Second Peter, as we've read this idea that there's going to be false teachers, false prophets... That, you know, we don't know exactly all the different false teachings that are going on, but we do have a, a little bit of an idea from different scriptures of, of the different false teachings, some that have to do with the denying of certain basic teachings of Christ. The, for example, his, his second coming and his judgment. And we've talked about this idea of the, the rejection, the false teaching that, you know, oh, we're, we're all... You know, save from our sins, so we should just continue in those sins, and, and yet that's not what Scripture teaches. And so we have these false teachings going on that Peter is writing and speaking to those at this time, and he's trying to remind them that, you know, there, there are certain things that God wants us to, to remember. And if you think about our culture, and you think about this idea of, you know, hell and heaven and a second coming of Christ and, and judgment day. And a lot of the people that we live, uh, that we live around and, and we interact with day in and day out, they, they just have this mentality that, well, we're all going to heaven, right? You know, there's just lots of different paths that we're all going to make it and, and we're all going to, we're going to end up there. And even in the church in America with an attempt to be as welcoming as possible, trying to, to reach out and to, to allow for as many people to come into the doors of the church, that we begin to kind of remove hell from our teaching and our preaching. And we're uncomfortable about sharing the truth that, that hell is a real place, that it's reserved for those and prepared for those who reject God in their lives. And many people, I don't know if you've ever had this conversation with someone that, oh yeah, I, I don't care, I'm, I'm going to hell, yep, that's, we're going to party in hell. All my buddies and I that are partying now, we're just going to continue partying in hell. And, and that's just not true. That's not what Scripture teaches. The Bible teaches that hell is separation from God and anything that is good. You think about that. Everything that's good comes from God. And hell is a separation from God, which means it's a, a separation from anything that is good. All that you're left with is all the bad. All that you're left with is torment and torture, eternal darkness and suffering. And as we look at today's passage from 2 Peter, Peter is reminding those that he's writing to, and he, he's reminding us today 
that there will be a judgment. There will be a punishment for the ungodly, but the righteous will be saved, it says. And so my hope as we look at these verses that we'll all receive a warning from these verses, but that we'll also receive encouragement from these verses. That if we remain faithful in our relationship with God, that we will be saved. So Peter begins by sharing three dramatic events in, in Genesis as historical fact. They're, they're actual accounts. They're not just made-up stories or illustrations or ideas in, in the Bible as far as concepts that we can learn from. But these are actual, real-life accounts that took place here on this earth absolute truth as we look back into Genesis. And again, these were accounts that they would be from very familiar with as Peter shared them. And so if you're taking notes this morning, I want us, as we look at these dramatic events from Genesis as historical fact, that we understand that it brings about this truth that the ungodly will be punished. The ungodly will be punished. And Thayer's Greek lexicon defines the word ungodly as destitute of reverential awe toward God. And again, I'm not the best when it comes to English and, and words and definitions, but I just uh, picture in your mind destitute, like you, you have nothing, there's, it's, you're, it's drought, it's just, you know, you're parched. It's this idea of destitute of reverential awe toward God. Basically thinking that I could care less about what you think, God. I don't want anything to do with you, God. God, I don't care what your plan for my life is. I'm going to do my own thing. Destitute of reverential awe toward God. And so we see in verse 4 that Peter uses three examples of judgment and punishment from the past and those who were ungodly. And and so we read in verse 4 again, says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. Wow. Angels. They're in the presence of God. In all of the greatness of God, in all of His holiness, in all of His splendor and majesty, in the presence of God, and they say, I... I want to do my own thing. God, your plan, we don't like it. We're going to come up with our own plan. We're going to do our own thing. And so they rebel against God. And it says here in another passage of Scripture that they're, they're cast out of heaven. According to these verses, some to be bound, sent to hell, putting them in gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. And then obviously from other parts of Scripture, we know that there are some fallen angels that for a time, are roaming the earth as our adversaries. Now, I don't have all this heaven, hell, demons, angels. I don't have it all, all figured out. I, there's a lot to learn and to grow in. And, and, but I think it's sometimes that as humans, we, want to, we, we get curious about this kind of stuff. And we want to know more and more and more. And so we get distracted by some of the different studies that are out there. And, and what I want us to realize is God has given us enough in the passage to know exactly what he wants to teach us. It's right there. And I think we can learn from what's written here that if God didn't spare angels that were in his presence, 
then why do we think that he's just going to randomly spare us? That, that he's just going to make an exception, a special exception, that, that God's just going to let us off the hook however we want to live. Because I think sometimes we as humans have the, the little bit of a mentality like Solomon Erickson. I asked uh, Bradley and Lindsay if I could uh, share this. About a year ago, it was January, the new year, uh, we had the uh, Ericksons and others that were at our house. And, and here's Solomon, two years old, one of the, the Erickson boys. And, and uh, the, the girls were busy. The little girls were playing with strollers and dollies and babies. And, and uh, they had the, the stroller out in the living room where the, the adult ladies had kind of congregated and were talking. And, and they had kind of left the stroller to the side. And they're busy playing with their babies over here. And here comes Solomon in the room. And he's kind of looking around, two years old. And he takes the stroller and kind of starts leaving the room with it. But before he leaves the room, he stops and he looks back at the adult ladies and he goes. <laughs> he winks at them. He winks at them and smiles. And he's just like, and of course, as an adult, you're like, go ahead, take the stroller. Go ahead. Yep. They were playing with it, but go ahead. Yeah. And, and that's kind of our mentality as adults. We, we know we're in the midst of not doing something that's right. We know that we're not doing exactly what God wants from us at times. And we think, oh, we're so cute, aren't we? We're just, we're so charming that all we have to do is look to our Father in heaven and say, God, we got it, right? It's, it's okay. Just let us off the hook. But we're not going to escape God's judgment by being adorable or charming. No, we're not going to escape God's judgment by thinking up some sort of excuse that's going to get us off the hook. The only way that we escape God's judgment for our sin is through the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us on the cross. See, God is holy, and He is just. And we'll even judge the more excellent of his creation than ourselves. As we look at scripture, it speaks about how Jesus came and he was made lower than the angels. He became a human. He was God and human, lower than the angels. And so we have angels that are above, or, or in, in some respects, a more excellent of creation than ourselves. And yet they are not spared for their choices, for their actions. And we must remember that the only escape from judgment, again, is through what Jesus paid for us on the cross. And so he gives the example of angels, that those who are ungodly will be punished. Just look at the angels. And, and then verse 5, just look at those that he did not spare. It says, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he didn't spare the multitudes, why do we think that we will be spared if we remain in sin? And Peter makes reference to the days of Noah, a time when God looked down, it said, on the earth, and he was, he was grieved, his heart broke, that he made man at all. Scripture says in Genesis 6-5, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, 
and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And a lot of times we think, man, we live in a wicked, evil world, which we do right now. But can you imagine the world that Noah was living in? That every inclination of the thoughts of the hearts of the men and women at that time were only evil all the time. In Genesis 6, 6 and 7, it says that God's heart was filled with pain. So the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I have created from the face of the earth. You see, as God's heart broke for his creation, he did not spare the multitude. But only Noah and his family, eight people, and it teaches us that there's no ganging up on God. When it, when it comes to wickedness and strength in numbers and, and evil, there's no ganging up on God. We begin to start with this mob mentality, don't we, at times where we think, well, if we all go out and riot together, they can't arrest us all at the same time. Well, I'm sure none of you have ever gone and rioted. But there might have been a few times where you're going down the interstate at 80 miles an hour and like four or five people pass you at 90 miles an hour. And you're thinking, man, I got a long trip to go all the way down to Kansas or Oklahoma or down to Missouri or something. Man, that's a long ways why don't I just kind of fall in line with these people that are going 90, right? There's no way that a cop can stop all five of us at the same time, so hopefully I'll be one of the ones that gets away. And we begin with this mentality that if, we, if, we, if everybody is involved in sin, then God should overlook it. Somehow, because a certain type of wickedness has become popular in our culture, it somehow makes it okay and because so many people are, are part of sin in our world that somehow that it makes it right. That with the majority of people on this earth saying that sin is okay, that, then there's no way that a, a loving God, right? We have this mentality of a loving God could find us all guilty and, and send so many to hell. And that, yet that's exactly what Peter says here happened in the days of Noah. And I want you to let that sink in. Because I think we oftentimes get conditioned when it comes to Noah and the ark and our mentality. And we think about how cute the little Noah and the ark figurines are. And, and we like to draw murals of Noah and, and the ark and the animals on nursery walls. Or, and we kind of think this idea is cute about Noah and the ark. But if you really think about it, it was one of the most horrifying stories, accounts in Scripture, when all humans, all mankind was wiped out, was drowned under the wrath of God except for eight, and, and we're happy that Noah and his family made it, but just think about so many others that Noah and his family would have known. People that you know that are outside of Christ that would be outside of the ark. And that really should sober us and wake us up to the reality of God's treatment when it comes to sin. When it comes to sin, it's no joke. 
God doesn't want us to play around with sin thinking, oh, it's all right, it's, it's a Friday night and you made it all week without this sin in your life, but it's been, you, it's been itching at your door and so just give in to it one time, it's no big deal, you can pray about it tomorrow, by Sunday you're good to go. No, that's not what God wants from us when it comes to sin in our lives. It should sober us up. And just because millions and billions of people are living a certain way, that doesn't make it right. It doesn't allow us to escape God's judgment. In fact, God anticipated that very few would actually follow him. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction. To hell is what he's talking about. And many enter through it, but small is the gate. And narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. And that breaks God's heart. God does not delight in the fact that only a few are going to find the path that leads to eternal life. And in fact, it breaks God's heart so much that we read even here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where Peter writes that God is patient with you. God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't want you to continue down the broad path that leads to destruction. He wants you to make a U-turn. To have repentance in your life and begin to head down the path that is narrow, that leads to eternal life. And yet God knows that wide is the gate and many are heading down that road that leads to destruction. And even in the midst of the knowledge that many people are going to hell, that doesn't change the truth of God's holiness, His righteousness, his justice, his judgment, it doesn't change the fact. And it's easy as humans to want to try to bend the rules, change them. That's not how God works. In fact, we read a third example where Peter gives us the reality that the ungodly will be punished. And it's the example of Sodom and Gomorrah, all the people of those cities in verse 6 where it says, If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Once again, and another example. It's been interesting to be reminded that the book of Jude is kind of a parallel here to, to the writings of Peter. And so we read in Jude verse 7, says, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and to perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Jude speaks about this same example of Sodom and Gomorrah. The destruction that's going to come to these cities is found in Genesis chapter 19, if you want to read through that. But we see in verse 13 of chapter 19 of Genesis that there's this outcry to the Lord against his people and so great that God was going to destroy the, the whole city, all, all the city, both Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding area. And, and God uses Sodom and Gomorrah as a warning to us, 
a warning to us that if, if we choose to reject God and be filled with wickedness, then there will be punishment. There are consequences. But it's our choice. I mean, we see that, don't we, here in the life of Noah, in the life of Lot? They, they made a choice to serve God, to surrender their lives over to God, and it says that they were saved. And that's where the joy of this message comes in. Yes, there is punishment for the ungodly, but there is salvation for the righteous. And if you're taking notes, that's what I encourage you to write down. The righteous will be saved as we look at verses 7 through 9. If you look at these verses and this idea of righteous and righteousness, I think about growing up, I learned in Sunday school that being right with God is like two thumbs up, right? Being righteous, right with God. And, and the Ninja Turtle movies, you know, righteous, you know, the surfer guys, you know, righteous. But it's more than just a, a phrase, a tagline. It's this concept of being right with God, being in line with what God wants for your life. To be right with him. And if you look at these verses, verse 7 through 9 again, it says, And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man, living among them day after day, was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Verse 9, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men and women from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. And all throughout Scripture, example after example of those who were right with God, they were saved. We see that in these examples here in this Second Peter passage that God saved those who were grieved by sin. Even as he judged sin. And Lot's, Lot's heart was continually grieved, it says, by the sin that he saw around him. In the midst of such wickedness, Lot, he didn't cave in to everything going, around him, going on around him. He stood firm in his relationship with God. He didn't join in. Instead, his heart remained firm to the truth of right and wrong, good and evil. And I wonder for us this morning, those of us who claim to be saved in Christ, to have that relationship, to have surrendered our lives over to God, are we like Lot? Are we distressed by the sin all around us? Or do we just kind of brush it off? Oh well, that's their issue. According to this passage, Lot was distressed. He was grieved. It says his, he was tormented in his soul because of the sin all around him. And in Psalm 119, verse 136, David says, Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. For your law is not obeyed. The world we live in, there's a lot of people that don't obey this. Does that break our hearts? When was the last time we broke down and cried over someone that we know that is outside of Jesus Christ 
that they're on the wide path that leads to hell. And they're choosing to reject God in it. And does it break our hearts? Are we grieved? Are we distressed? Are we tormented? And I think a lot of times we just get desensitized by the evil all around us. And it's easy to do. I don't know if there's any way to completely guard against it. And so in some form or another, we get desensitized. But I want to remind us that our hearts should break for the people all around us that are going to hell. Because they've rejected God and they're living in wickedness. And I think one of the ways that Satan works against us to cause us to be less effective in our world. And I don't think it's necessarily through always getting us to join in with all the sin that goes on in our world. In fact, I think a lot of us stand firm in our faith and what we know to be right and wrong. But I think what he does sometimes to cause us to be less effective is to we kind of get desensitized and we we get to the point where it becomes funny to us right the sin in our world it's it's kind of funny because we watch tv shows where everything's geared towards making us laugh when it comes to sin and i know for me personally there's times where i might be telling someone about well there's this really funny part in this movie and i start to tell it and pretty soon i'm describing something that god would be completely against something that's completely filthy or or something that the this whole situation is based off of sin and yet for us a lot of times we're like oh no big deal as long as it's funny then it makes it okay and that's what satan does in our lives he desensitizes us and so instead of when it comes to sin instead of weeping over that sin we laugh about it if we're to be the righteous that are saved We must be as Lot was. We must be grieved by sin. We must be distressed by the wickedness and evil in this world. And we must continue to to humble ourselves through faith and be grieved by the same things that grieve our God. And so which one are you? Which one are you? Are you the righteous or the ungodly? As the praise team comes this morning, the, the question again is given here, I believe, in verse 9, where it says, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment. Are you the godly that will be rescued? Or are you the unrighteous who will be punished? He says, if these examples are true, and of course, it's kind of like a a rhetorical question. If these examples are true, well, yes, we know that they're true. We read them in God's word. We know that there are fallen angels. We know that Noah was on the ark with his family. We know that Sodom and Gomorrah were wiped out, and not only just because we read it here in the word, but we see physical evidences in our world that support these truthful accounts, these historical accounts. And so if these examples are true, then you only have one of two choices, it says here. There's really no middle ground. You don't get to leave today just thinking, well, I'm not really overly righteous. I'm not quite right with God. But I'm not necessarily the ungodly. 
I'm kind of in the middle. I don't No, it, it, there's only two choices. Either you're the righteous that will be saved or you're the ungodly that will be punished. And the only way that we any of us escape God's judgment is through accepting God's grace and his forgiveness and his mercy that's offered through us through the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not anything that we can do on our own. We can't just sit back and kind of wink at God and be like, it's going to be all right. It's only through that relationship that we have through Jesus and his sacrifice. And the way that we receive that gift, the way that you can receive that free gift of grace is through a belief and a repentance and a confession and a baptism where you died your old self and you're raised in newness of life and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that you can choose every single day to walk in the Spirit. And so we're going to sing a song. And as we sing this song, if, if you feel like these three examples that Peter lists here in Scripture kind of define your life right now, then I would challenge you to get right with God this morning. Will you stand with us as we sing?